ask MJ to marry me. A man has to put his wife before himself. Can you do that, Peter? Yeah, I think I can. We have some new information. This is your uncle's actual killer. We lost his trail two days ago. This man killed my uncle, and he's still out there! Everybody needs help sometimes, Peter. Even Spider-Man. Revenge is like a poison. It can take us over. And before you know it, it can turn you into something ugly. <gasps> Where'd this come from? The power feels good. But you lose yourself to it. Whoa, Spidey, love the new outfit. Remember Ben Parker? What does it matter to you anyway? Everything! Do you want to push me away? Why would I want to push you away? I love you. I knew this was coming, Pete. I didn't kill your father! What's happening to you? We've all done terrible things to each other, but we have to forgive each other, or everything we ever were will mean nothing. I need your help. I have to stop it. Could be the end of Spider-Man. Chama people, and welcome to our 106th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Spider-Man 3. And with me today to discuss this closing chapter of the Sam Raimi trilogy is on one hand, returning guest co-host, and the guy I'm so happy to have back, Mr. Kelly Pippin. Hey, Kelly. Kelly, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing good, Nick. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Kelly. And it's been way too long since we've had you on the podcast and super yeah, happy yeah. to have you back. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be back. I've been uh, I've been a pretty busy guy, so it's it's nice to have a minute to sit down and uh, get back on here with you and uh, and uh, hang out and get to talk about a movie I love and don't love so much but <laughs> all that but yeah <laughs> yeah i think there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about when it comes to this and added to, to of course kelly we have a, a first time uh, guest co-host on the podcast mr devin smith hey devin how are you and welcome to the podcast i am absolutely loving this experience and i'm great and i am thrilled to talk about one of my favorite movies and I kind of also agree with Kelly that, uh, you know, there's some good points to this movie, and then there's also some things that are not so good. <laughs> 
I definitely will agree. So, of course, guys, today we are discussing Spider-Man 3 from 2007, directed by Sam Raimi. The story was by Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi, who both co-wrote the screenplay alongside Alvin Sargent, while the original score was by Christopher Young. And this, but to put in today's money, this movie cost $460 million to make and made over a billion at the box office, putting it, of course, into 2021 money, naturally. So let's start here with first impressions kelly actually starting here with you you know you mentioned i guess you're in two minds when it comes to this film so yeah um, on your rewatch, and you know when you first got to see this film yeah how do you feel about spider-man 3 in this concluding chapter to what sam raimi started way back when so for one i you know i always kind of like i i like tommy mcguire's spider-man but i think moving forward into this third film i don't know what him and Sam were thinking, but, um, anytime <laughs> Spider-Man's on the screen, um, it's fun for me. I mean, I went to the midnight showing of this movie when it first came out. I mean, I literally put on my Spider-Man jacket. I went to the movies. I sit down, I watched this movie and I was happy and sad all at the same time. Um, I really, I, there's a lot of things about this movie that I, that I loved and, and a lot of it that I really didn't care for. Um, how they introduced Gwen Stacy. I mean, there's a laundry list of things that, that uh just i don't know I, you look at it and you're kind of like okay well i feel like they did this one kind of haphazardly compared to the thought that was gone into some of the other stuff that they've done and so i for me i mean after you know i watched it years ago had fond memories of it and then after the rewatch i was a little i don't know i was more uh i was a little more critical of it this time around watching i mean and i watched it a few times over the years but sitting down and rewatching it today you know i guess comparing it to what we've got today as far as like you know more spider-man and avengers and things like that it's it's definitely not holding a candle to those productions as far as cinematics and things like that but you get what you get at the time it came out and for what it was it was pretty good and i mean i enjoyed the movie i'm just <laughs> little the, the plot the the way things progress and i'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff but um you know bringing harry in is you know the second goblin which you know i was like okay hobgoblin or are we doing green goblin or what are we doing so it was a little confusing because we never specified that but mm. yeah <laughs> well there is there is definitely a lot to unpack when it comes to this film indeed and Devin, when it comes to you you know what were your thought, initial thoughts on this film and you know when it came out at the time did you go to see it in the movie theater well, I am also a very diehard Spider-Man fan, and um, I actually waited overnight to go see the movie the following morning, actually. And what I really liked about it was, honestly, it wasn't boring. It kept you interested throughout the entire thing. The only thing that I would say that I was a little disappointed with was I thought that they could have done a little bit more background with some of the villains, like told a little bit more story with it, because not the average Spider-Man fan is going to know like the history of like like comic book series. Uh, most like some people now will just say, "Well, we've just seen the movies, not read like the comic book." And I feel like they just could have done a better job with like some of the villain backgrounds and like the you know character development. So, um, you know, other than that. You know, I think the movie is actually really decent. Mm. Yeah, 
and we definitely will will get more into it as well. I mean, I have to say, you know, this film is probably the most maligned of the three when it comes to fans of this franchise. And it's detractors argument, it seems to be, is that there's so much going on, as in too many villains, too many storylines, not to mention others have actually complained how the characters of Peter and Mary Jane were mishandled. And of course, a lot of flack got thrown at this version of Venom. And of course, we will address all this and more. And personally, in retrospect, I did not feel this film was as bad as its reputation. Now, is it a perfect movie? Not by any stretch of the imagination. Are there problems with the story? Yes. However, to Devin's point, is it entertaining? Very much so. As unpopular as that opinion might be with the general public. And, you know, having read the comics myself, there were some things which was like, why the heck did they do this? I suppose maybe they were thinking this is this was kind of their last, Sam Raimi's kind of last hurrah with this franchise. Like, we're going to throw everything we can for this last film and just really make it really, really big and really impressive. So I, you know, I'm, I think it was, as I said, it's, it's entertaining. But yeah, the story did get away from the writers, from from the, the Raimi's at a certain point. I will agree. So let's start with our titular character, of course, Tobey Maguire reprising his role for the third and final time, at least in this series of films, as Peter Parker, Spider-Man. So, Devin, starting here with you, what did you make of um, of, of our hero in this? <coughs> what I really love about Peter Parker in the third movie is he is really trying to figure out who he is not only as a general human being and as a college student, but as somebody who's also a superhero and who's trying to figure out, you know, the differences between having a relationship with somebody and saving the city, basically, mm-hmm. and trying to coexist with that. And you can see the struggles emotionally and physically that it has on him in the movie. And so that I kind of like because. We don't really get to see Tobey Maguire in those serious roles, other than like like Spider-Man. Uh, and to me, Spider-Man is Tobey Maguire, honestly, in my honest opinion. I mean, now I've seen some of the modern movies, but I feel like this, to me, this movie, that really defines his career as far as Spider-Man. Like, I feel like, people have tried to replace him and they haven't really done that great of a job compared to what he was doing when during these films. Mm. Um, and I think that he should get more credit for these movies because he did an amazing job with this role. So, so you say out of the three Spider-Men that we have so far, Toby Maguire, of course, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, Toby is still your favorite out of the three. Absolutely. Yes. Because I feel like he put, is all into that character. Well, that's definitely a great point for sure. And Kelly, when it comes to you, you know, coming off of, you know, the first two Raimi films, what did you make of, of Peter in this one? Um, so, and it, it's probably part, partly the writing because Tobey Maguire's played in movies like Cider House Rules and, mm-hmm. and uh, Seabiscuit. And I mean, you can go down the list. He had a lot of um, pretty uh, serious and earth shaking roles, you know, when he was, uh, young but before he even did spider-man so i mean you know there's a lot of things that spider-man opened the door for him but i feel like that you know you can't talk about this movie without talking about the walk of shame i mean the whole (laughs) you know um little dance down the road the changing the clothes the you know intentionally hurting gwen stacy and i feel like that they didn't so that 
the Spider-Man suit in the black suit, you know, obviously in the comics, he didn't even get it on Earth. It was during Secret Wars and, you know, during their battle with the Beyonder and et cetera. But the point of that is, is that, you know, I know they can't do that in this movie. And I like the way that they brought the suit in to this situation. The problem is, is I think like Devin was saying earlier, when you don't get the history on the villains, you don't get a lot of history of Peter in that suit. And in the comics, Peter's still Peter, even with that suit. And yes, some things change, but once he figures out that the suit is a symbiote and it's, you know, it's really actually hurting him more than it's helping him, you know, Peter goes, you know, there's several times that he has to get rid of the suit. And they, they, they pick the one instead of with Reed Richards, they pick the one in the bell tower, which is fine. I think that, you know, that plays along to it. And, but the whole Topher Grace scenario going in with Tobey Maguire, it just, I don't know that that worked like I thought it should, but, you know, to his credit, he's always done a really good job of portraying Spider-Man and Peter in that awkwardness. I just think in this movie, I, the way that he handled um, the material that he had, I think it could have been, you know, for me, it could have been better because it just, he's got so much more talent than what he, than what is on display in this particular movie. Um, you know, him versus Doc Ock in the second movie. I mean, those were, I mean, those were seriously believable. The monologue between, you know, uh, Peter and Sandman at the end of this movie, you know, and I'm not going to give that away yet, but you know, that was more of what I felt like Pete that Tobey Maguire brought to Spider-Man. And as far as my favorite Spider-Man, I have to say the current one, Tom Holland is probably it. Um, just because he's a younger version and Tobey Maguire was a 30 year old man playing a teenager. But, um, right. you know, <laughs> it, it, he makes it believable, but it, at the same time, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. And I, I completely understand it. I, I'm excited that Toby got the shot to do three movies and I think he'll get to do some more work coming in the new MCU. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't felt like this was Toby's best mm. in this movie. Well, I, you know, I think you have something there when you say maybe it's more on the writers. Uh, you should say the, the blamed it should be maybe aimed more at the writers than at the acting. But I will say that, yeah, the symbiote connection aside, this is probably one of the few films where I just did not find myself rooting for the hero, at least when it came to the Peter Parker side of the character. As I get that, you know, juggling a successful relationship and being a superhero is no easy task, but it really appears that success has gone to our hero's head. And he's he's so, so unlikable and a jerk, you know. Though Mary, right. you know, though, though Mary Jane is not without fault either, and I will get to her, but Peter, I think, does very much make it all about him and very much, like, seems to completely ignore Mary Jane's problems. I know, you know, a lot of guys find themselves in this situation where they're confronted by their significant other saying, don't, you know, don't you get what I'm going through? And he gives her that look, which a lot of guys have been in that situation, so I do understand. But I'm assuming, you know, the intent when it came to our writers and the way Toby plays the character in this film is just that Toby is maybe, you know, uh, guilty of the sin of pride, if you will. You know, because it's, it's this is supposed to be the couple you're rooting for, but they're just awful people in this film. I mean, I found mom the moments where the symbiote takes over entertaining, especially when we see, like you were mentioning, uh, Kelly Peter strutting around town, and even in that case, I understand this is a film. But are there only attractive women walking around New York City? I mean, really. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. As you, you don't see any guys around, which I found rather odd. And there's just these incredibly gorgeous women, which happen to be around. They're like, wow, okay, I, I, I'm living in the wrong city at this point. But, um, you know, and then when Harry gets a concussion after the first fight with Spider-Man, you know, we've seen this. The choice that Peter makes to lie about what happened is questionable. I mean, I guess... Yes that he, see that he sees this as like a fortuitous reset button on his and Harry's relationship. And as much as we do know that he did not kill Norman Osborn, he possibly could have dug his grave even deeper by actually lying to his friend, because I think it makes things worse. Granted, okay, they end up uh, be, you know, being allies by the end of the film. And it was kind of cool to see Spider-Man and Goblin team up, as odd as that is, against Venom and Sandman. And I suppose the concept was like his father, Harry, you know, who also dies as the goblin. And it does save uncomfortable questions in the aftermath of the big battle when it comes to Mary Jane. I did find that Peter and Mary Jane did reconcile a little too quickly after everything that had happened. But I suppose, you know, following the traumatic events they've both been through, they find comfort in, in each other. But I just kept thinking to myself, couples fight, they have their differences and there very rarely is a case of a perfect relationship, but you don't really get the impression that these two should be together by the end of the film. I mean, I, I did see the symbiote also kind of as a possible allegory for like drug addiction and almost the temptation of heaven and hell because you have, you know, the sin of pride and the costume is right at the bottom, almost like he's reaching to he's going down to hell rather than the costume of Spider-Man, which is elevated and is heaven. Maybe that's me being presumptuous, but I kind of saw that sort of thing going on because also the thing about the church. But yeah, my main thing is, why should these two be together? I just don't get it. You know, it's just, that's my, that's my point when it comes to this. Uh, well, you, go ahead, Kelly. Yeah. I, I feel like that. So, you know, you, you mentioned the heaven and hell thing, you know, when, when he gets the black suit off and he, and he first comes back in the red and the blue suit, you know, it, they kind of corned it up a little bit by, mm. he crosses in front of the Amer the big American flag and, you know, Spider-Man's back and it just, I don't. A lot of this was, to me, overly done, I felt like. Maybe that's where I'm going with that. I mean, and when it comes to the end of the film, do you think that, um, I mean, do you assume that they've reconciled the differences and they're back together? Or do you think it's like, I'm here for you because we've both been through traumatic events and we'll see how it goes? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's up for interpretation. I mean, the end of the movie, you get them dancing together. He's back at the jazz club. We don't know how much time has passed from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll give him a, a little bit of a pass on that, but I think you're right. I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he hit her in this movie. And, and of all things that Spider-Man is, that's something he would never do. Mm -hmm. And to me, even with the black suit on, Peter had more control, especially in the comics, um, because it the suit is supposed to, or the symbiote in the comics, is supposed to modify the thing about the person that's more pronounced. And Peter's was always modified as good, and Brock was always modified as bad. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, the way that they wrote this in, I get it. It's a movie. We got a little bit of time. We don't have a week, you know, <laughs> or a month or several comic book issues or whatever. But I, I don't know. I just, at the end of the movie, when they get back together, it's kind of a, you know, I have, I know how things go in the comics. So I'm just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, they're putting them back together because you can't have Peter without Mary Jane. I mean, that's just the way things work. So.
Oh, no, of course. I, they, they are like the iconic couple from Marvel, or at least one of the iconic Marvel couples. And Devin, did you have anything else to add when it came to this? I mean, do you think that were you happy with the ending that they do get back together? Well, okay. Here's, here's what, what I would have done, honestly, in that situation. Hmm. Um, I think that how the movie really should have ended was where they kind of went their separate ways and then maybe later on in another movie later down the road they were able to kind of get back together and figure things out after he kind of dealt with personal because I feel like they're not really compatible because like she's kind of you know out there he's kind of like crazy a little bit so I feel like maybe he has to deal with his personal issues with, you know, the Venom suit and all that stuff. Um, get beyond that, deal with his friendships kind of failing. And then maybe Mary Jane kind of comes back later on and kind of like picks him up and basically puts him back in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, I could also see her becoming a villain actually in the future. And maybe getting back at him for some of the things that they went, you know, through um, in some of the comic book adventures and things. Um, so, yeah, that's just something I was kind of thinking of. Is like, well, what if it ended like a completely different way where they just went their separate ways? You know, he kind of was trying to deal with his own life and then she became like a supervillain. Yeah. That could work. I mean, I get, you know, granted, we never got to a fourth Spider-Man movie, but hey, it could have maybe paved the way for what we might be getting in Spider-Man No Way Home in December. So, you know, I guess it'll be, it'll, it's up for grabs when it comes to that. So let's get to the lady in the middle of the love triangle between Harry and Peter. Of course, Kirsten Dunst returning as Mary Jane Watson. So, um, Kelly, when it comes to you, what did you make of, uh, of Mary Jane in this? Um. I felt like she was kind of so her and Peter, I mean, we're talking about a young couple here. I think I felt like she was um, as selfish in this movie as he was kind of like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you just kind of watch this and then, you know, she's easily swayed by Harry at one point and just, you know, I get that your boyfriend's not giving you the attention you want, but for goodness sakes, you know, the you're one of the few people on the entire planet that know he's Spider-Man and know what he goes through. And yeah, it kind of went to his head. And I think they did that leading, leading her into this because they wanted Peter to come off as worse than he was because we're going to put the black suit on him, but she didn't help the situation either. Um, she didn't communicate very well. In, uh, or at least I didn't feel like in this movie, you know, usually, you know, in, t- in Spider-Man 2 and, and Spider-Man, you know, Mary Jane and Peter, they they had a lot of talk together and a lot of communication and a lot of different scenes and, and things like that. And so, you know, when you come to this movie, you kind of halfway expect that they've been through this. She was almost killed by Doc Ock, you know, and now all of a sudden we're, you know, we're back to like normal life. And how can you have a normal life when, you know, your boyfriend you know, swings through New York and fights crime and can lift, you know, 30,000 tons or whatever. But uh, (laughs) it just, I don't know. It just, it it comes off to me like they're trying to give this normal romantic kind of love story and, and the ups and downs of, you know, 
this kind of thing. And I honestly feel like that, you know, she don't get me wrong. I mean, she, she's always done a wonderful job as Mary Jane. I mean, she's played Mary Jane now for three movies and I was always, you know, pretty, pretty all right with that. And then, you know, we get to this movie and I feel like we've, we've crossed some kind of like twilight zone barrier with their relationship and, and everything that's going on. Cause from the get go, I mean, the movie starts off, you know, pretty normal. And then, you know, from the get go, there's all, there's, there's just this constant confrontation between the two of them throughout the movie. And I get it's to build tension, but you know, I don't feel like that is who or what Mary Jane ever was or represented in the films before. So I'm just kind of like, okay, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll roll with it. But, um, you know, that's, that's the way I kind of see it. <laughs> well, I, 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 for sure. And, and Devin, when it comes to you, what did you make of Mary Jane? I absolutely love Mary Jane, and I think Kristen Dunst did a great job with the character. Uh, I, I feel that, um, however, in, in this particular movie, I think that she was a little crazy mm-hmm. on, the, you know, on, on the rails, you know? I mean, it's kind of like that Ozzy song, Crazy Train. That's kind of how I felt about her in this movie. <laughs> You do that, you're not really understanding what you're getting, basically, because one minute she can be normal, the next minute she's kind of out there. Um, and, but I do think without her being in this movie and playing Mary Jane, that probably would have not worked. So I do think that they should have kept her in the movie. I just wish that they would have had a different direction for her with some of like the stuff that's going on in her life. Because she does know that Again, her boyfriend is Spider-Man, so why is she not finally acknowledging all of this stuff and dealing with all of that and supporting him and trying to be a superhero? Um, and I just feel like, you know, she could have had more of a positive outlook on trying to support Peter in, in his own life. Um, but I do think she's a great actor. She did a wonderful job with the character. I just feel like they would have, you know, had more success possibly going in like other directions with her. Um, like I said, maybe even becoming like a super villain. Um, yeah, that's just kind of how I feel about Mary Jane. Mm, sure. And I mean, I, I, as I mentioned, you know, I, I I'm right there with you then because I, I, both of you actually, cause I cannot blame her for feeling somewhat shut out by Peter, who between his heroing, the symbiote, and his own uber-inflated ego has little or no time to either get caught up with what she's going through or the fact that she got fired from the big musical production. She is rather selfish herself. And rather than actually, you know, try and sit down with Peter and tell him he's being a bit of a dick and giving him the lowdown on what is going on, she makes it all about her as well. And then, of course, you know, you throw in Gwen Stacy randomly, and that doesn't help matters either. Because, you know, for as much as she seems to understand that Peter has responsibilities as a hero, she appears to get incredibly impatient with him. And when she chastises Peter for giving Gwen the signature upside-down spider kiss, I wonder why Peter couldn't, didn't make the argument that as an actress... 
Mary Jane would probably have to kiss other people herself. I mean, you don't see him going just, oh, you kissed that guy, you know, for this, whatever. And But whatever. I was just like, why? But other than that, um, you know, in her contract, you know, unless, you know, maybe in her contract it states that she can't have kissing scenes. I don't know. But as I mentioned, I do understand that both have seen and been through tons but it seemed to me like she did forgive Peter a little too easily later, aside from the symbiote stuff, which wasn't necessarily him. But still, it did seem a little too convenient. But I do understand, as I mentioned before, this being the closing chapter, you would want your two leads to be together by movie's end. And I like the fact that um, at the beginning of the movie, she sings a song about how wonderful love is. And towards the end, she's like, I don't believe in love anymore. So that's why in my head, Canon says it's almost like, platonic for the time being kind of like spoilers for folks who haven't seen uh, Shang-Chi kind of like the two characters in there as well where it's more of a platonic relationship than they're officially together but yeah I mean I, look she did good what I was glad about she screamed a lot less than she had previously I was so glad because in Spider-Man 2 if you listen to the commentary she's like wow I screamed a lot in this film so I'm glad she didn't do right. as much <laughs> she didn't do as much screaming in this one which was thankfully a relief so let's get to, I, I'd say, three characters before we get to the uh, the villains that maybe don't get as much in this film, but I think are worthy of mention. We have, of course, the returning Rosemary Harris as Aunt May. We have, of course, the legendary J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And yes, Jurassic World's Bryce Dallas Howard as Gwen Stacy. So, uh, Devin, starting here with you. You know, granted, we don't get to spend too much time with these characters, but what did you make of Aunt May, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, and Gwen Stacy? Well, um, honestly, I, I would say that I think really, here's, here's how I would have honestly introduced some of these other characters. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like they should have had a fourth movie because you have way too many villains in this movie, and I feel like it's not fully, you know, the way, um, like, I feel like they kind of rushed this script with some of the villains. And I think that they should have made a fourth movie and kind of separated some of these stories because you can't really have all these villains in one movie and then not focus on the real story, which is basically Mary, Mary Jane and Peter Parker and their friends and, you know, the family members and the people that are associated with, like, the Green Goblin. And I just feel like they should have separated things. Um, and I think a fourth movie absolutely should have happened because mm. if it all of these characters into one movie, it's just way too much. It is. It is. I mean, you definitely have so many things to focus on. In fact, while I was watching, I'm like, wow, you have like so many storylines going on. It could really have been broken down into actually three movies in the one film. And uh, Kelly, when it came to you, what did you make of our two recurring characters and the introduction of Gwen Stacy? So number one, um, hashtag Gwen Stacy was first. That needs to go out there. <laughs> um, Peter was in love with Gwen Stacy long before he fell in love with Mary Jane. He, the, him and Mary Jane had this thing in high school, and then he went on to college, met Gwen Stacy. They fell in love. She died in the comics, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, you know, I was a little 
that was the one thing I get it. We're trying to make a film here and do all that cool stuff. But, um, you know, we've had in the MCU. Now we've had so many successful movies with multiple villains, multiple heroes. Um, I just feel like that this, the continuity of this film was very choppy and it was very broken. I mean, J Jonah Jameson is one of Peter's biggest enemies in the comics for the longest time. I mean, he hires people to kill Spider-Man. He mean, he has machines built to kill Spider-Man. You could have made him the villain of this movie and probably been all right with it. Um, but, um, you know, Aunt May, you always, you know, you don't always have to have Aunt May in the movie. Um, I love her as Aunt May. I think she's probably one of the best. Um, and, um, I love her advice that she always gives to Peter and she kind of lets you know that she knows that he's Spider-Man without telling him he is. Um, and the fact that he's still oblivious to that, to, you know, in the comics, it was the same way she knew and he was oblivious to it. He thought he was protecting her and she had known for years, but the point, and then, you know, to bring Gwen, Gwen Stacy and give her this minor bit part, um, make her the, the crux of Mary Jane and Peter's, you know, angst there during the whole symbiote episode. Um, it was just kind of disappointing because she's a lot more important to Spider-Man than that. And he carries that feeling of responsibility for her death for a very long time in the comics. And, you know, it just, it, yeah, it really is just one of those things that I feel like I agree with Devin that, you know, this shouldn't have been all just crammed into one movie. I just, yeah, I think it could have had better continuity. You could have developed the story better, but we've already got Mary Jane and Peter involved. So you can't bring Gwen Stacy in, in that capacity. So it just, why even have her in the movie? I mean, that, I mean, I get it advances the plot line, but to be honest with you, it really didn't do anything for, her. we could have done this with anybody. It could have been some rando chick. It just didn't matter. I mean, not that I didn't enjoy seeing her on the screen. It's just, you know, she's an attractive young lady. But the point is, is that it, it just, I don't know. I feel like she was cut short on this. And the part that they gave her was very, um, th there wasn't any attachment to it. And it just, I don't know. Jameson, you could put him in every Spider-Man movie as long as you keep, you know, as long as you keep him playing the part. I think we're good. Um, <laughs> you know. Well, J.K. Simmons uh, is definitely J.J. Jonah Jameson. Is J.J. Jameson, yeah. I mean, the first time I saw him on screen as J.J., I was like, that's J.J. That, that's the guy from the comic book. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I felt like that, you know, they undersold, you know, the true relationship between Gwen and, and Peter. And I feel like that, you know, Jameson was kind of in here for more comic relief than anything else. Um, you know, and just just as as a side note because nobody ever mentions this the gal that plays betty in the office um is just spot on betty from the comics so just just as a thing and her and peter had something once upon a time but that's been a long time ago but <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean there's just there's certain things they do robbie at the bugle perfect it, it's always been perfect um it's just they, they did so much in the first two movies and they brought you to this point and then to get to this point and then get the movie we got to me was just, I, don't get me wrong, I still love the movie. It's a Spider-Man film. Who, who doesn't love Spider-Man? It's just, I don't know, the, the extra characters, I just, yeah, I don't know. I felt like it was just not, it wasn't done the way that the MCU is done now. And, and, and that has something to do with Marvel not being involved in this, but yeah. Mm. 
True. And definitely a big shout out to Elizabeth Banks, indeed, who did a wonderful job, job as, as Betty Bryant, indeed. And the exchanges between her and, and J. Jonah Jameson are hilarious. And I very much enjoyed that. I mean, to your point, Kelly, I think both of those characters were pretty much in there for comedic relief. And, uh, you know, at any time that J.K. is on is on screen. He's always a joy to watch. And like you said, I'm hopefully I'm hoping that we will get to see him in upcoming films, which seems like we will be seeing as what we, what we got when it came to Spider-Man Far From Home. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what that brings. Aunt May, I mean, she as always, Rosemary Harris is fabulous, but uh, she was kind of pushed to the side in, in this. Granted, there are so many characters in this film like even to Devin's point, it's hard to focus on all of them. And, you know, you kind of have to sacrifice and kind of pick and choose. But maybe that should not have been the case. Maybe it should have been more of a contained story and less of this sprawling adventure that they try to, to bring out because it does go get to the detriment of certain characters and certain relationships, like you guys were both pointing out. Because, you know, the, the whole Aunt May Peter Parker thing has always been a staple in throughout the comics and the previous two movies. We get a little bit of it. But not as much. And it's kind of like, yeah, Aunt May kind of disappears at certain points. Like, okay, uh, I guess she's gone somewhere doing Aunt May stuff, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah, and, and Gwen Stacy, as, as good, I think, as Bryce Dallas Howard is. And now, of course, she's gone on to do so many things, both as an actress and as a director like her dad, which is wonderful. But I just don't get the point of, of putting Gwen Stacy in. You know, to your point, Kelly, you could have just put, put in some other random girl that Peter has, you know, in Peter's class or that he has dealings with, because apparently the story originally Gwen was supposed to be the one trapped in the car in the spider web by Venom. But then they kind of like, oh, we can't do this because where's Mary Jane? So they hadn't kind of like told uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, you're not going to be doing this anymore. You're going to be having a much smaller part because we have to focus on Mary Jane. So it really does make that that character almost insignificant and everything that she's been doing, because she seems to be almost more like a rebound, if you will, or just a person to make Mary Jane feel worse about herself and feel jealous. And it was just weird. And I, I guess maybe also to give um, in the, this version of Eddie Brock somebody to be in love with and thinks he has something going on with. But it just was such an inconsequential character. I just thought to myself, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard, great to have you in these films, but uh, could have given the, the girl more to work with. So that's that's what I'm going to say when it comes to that. <laughs> so let's get to the dark side of the table, gentlemen, starting with a familiar face who in this film is somewhere in the middle. Mr. James Franco, of course, reprising his role as Harry Osborne, new goblin. So, Kelly, starting with you, what did you make of uh, this this time of, of Harry? Um. Well, I'm going to be honest before I even get started. I'm not a huge James Frank James Franco fan. <laughs> okay, um, I like fair him enough. A few things, but I mean, he just, I don't know. He just comes off as very stiff in every movie so far that he's been in. I mean, he plays Peter's friend and things like that. The first movie, it was all right. Um, this one, I just, I don't feel like his heart was in this one, to be quite frank and honest with you. I mean, after watching the movie and, 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 you know, again, it, it's due to, you know, the parts that were written and things like that. But I just don't feel like that Harry was, you know, I don't feel like Harry was Harry in this movie for some reason. I don't feel like, you know, if we're going to bring in the quote unquote new goblin, let's just say hobgoblin for all intents and purposes, because that's what they were trying to do. Um, you know, 
we just we're trying to tie all these things together and it just doesn't i i don't know i it it, it he didn't work in this movie for me as a as an antagonist um like i think he should i mean if we were going to focus on this whole revenge thing you know if if we're going to focus on a revenge on spider-man i mean every villain in the mcu is coming to see us so i mean you know having harry in there as the villain i mean you know he could have played this part and it could have been more of a because everything feels like it's a side mm-hmm. it's a side plot to mary jane and peter everything feels like it's just all revolving around each of their situations until we hit the end of this thing and it and uh, you know it's nothing against you know it's nothing against you know this whole version of harry and and the new goblin it's just i i just felt like that this was you know and no offense i mean the creepy butler i that, that <laughs> why i mean you know we're we're not batman here so let's let's just let's 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 ditch the whole yeah it, i don't know it just lots of these pieces and parts didn't work for me for the whole new goblin thing and and I get it. It was a cool idea and everybody wants to put it in the movie and they want to bring Harry back in some way, shape or form. So let's bring him back as this new goblin. Let's let's uh, let's pit him against Peter. And, and and then, you know, let's just throw on top of that everything else that Peter's dealing with at the time. And you want to talk about confusing a young man. I mean, you know, if we're talking Peter at college age, you know, he's barely in his 20s, probably at this point. And so now you're you're really piling a lot on somebody with with that has a lack of maturity and, and all these other things. And, and it kind of plays away from Spider-Man growing up, you know, Peter growing up as Spider-Man because in the comics, obviously he takes steps and Harry takes steps with him and they grow up together and there's all this stuff. And it's almost like Harry can just turn that off and say to heck with it. You know, you killed my dad. I'm going to kill you now. We don't have a relationship before that. Let's just forget all that. And I don't know, it just doesn't work very well for me. It just, it feels kind of canned and just something to fill time with. I mean, this was a long movie and you know, you just, I don't know. I, I just feel like it was a lot of it was unnecessary. So I, I just, you know, I, what, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I, and you know, as a diehard comic book fan, like you are, and especially, you know, I know that your ex- expertise lies, especially when it comes to Marvel were you happy or were you upset that we got uh, basically Goblin and Spider-Man teaming up at the end of this film and fighting the two other bad guys? So, yeah, I, you could have brought any other hero. I mean, Sony had the rights to a lot of different heroes at that point in time. I mean, you really could have introduced somebody else. I'm, I'm sure they were like, oh, gosh, if we do that, then we're going to have to make another movie and spin this off and do this and do that. Why don't we just end it here? It, to me, this was a little lazy. Um, and I feel like a goblin team up with Spider-Man and a goblin team up. Um, I don't know that that would have ever been a thing ever. It's, it's, I I don't know. Spider-Man is noted for forgiving his villains. And yes, he has teamed up with some in the past. Um, the Prowler, there's a few others, you know, that he's teamed up with black cat was not always necessarily a good person. Um, and that's another relationship we've never explored on the screen, but anyway, um, (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can go down the list of these different things and, and, you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, so why, I mean, I know Harry and Peter are friends, 
if it was Harry and Peter teaming up, that'd be one thing, but this is Spider-Man and the, and the Goblin. So it's just kind of like, okay, I mean, I'll live with it. It's not my favorite thing that they've ever done. And I think, you know, Sam Raimi, you know, it, we've got three films from this guy. You kind of, you, you may be running on empty a little bit at this point. I don't know. Um, or you may have lost interest. And that's what I feel like happened with this movie. It's like, we've got to put out another one while, you know, strike while the, the iron's hot. And I get it. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't agree with it. I think they could have done a lot of different. There's a lot of other things they could have done differently. Well, apparently Sam Raimi irked quite a few people, I think, who were working on this movie. Apparently prior to this, um, Danny Elfman, who did the score for the previous two, did not return because he was not happy with the way Sam Raimi operated. So I wonder whether some people were maybe almost acting, you know, were kind of phoning it in because like, oh, I don't want to be here, but I guess I'll, ca I'll pick up my paycheck and just do this thing and end it because it's a big blockbuster and such. But apparently Sam Raimi was not the easiest to work with, at least when it came to this film. I don't know. Maybe I mean, we just Sam, Raimi, Sam Raimi did the Hulk too, right? Yeah. So this harkened back to, so not to get off on a different movie, but this kind of harkened back to like, we spent more time in the first Hulk movie getting to know Bruce Banner and, um, and his relationship there than we did, you know, and this, this made me feel like I was watching that movie again for some reason. And <laughs> I didn't care for that movie. I mean, don't get me wrong. Anytime you, like I said, Spider-Man Hulk, you put somebody on the screen, I'm going to watch it. But, I don't know. I just I've I'm with you. I think it was kind of a phoned in kind of thing. I don't think this was mm. the best work. I, I hear you. And and Devin, when it came to you, what did you make of Harry and our Spider-Man goblin team up at the end of the film? Well, I'm, OK. So I'm, I'm also going to agree with with Kelly that I am not the biggest James Franco fan either. I think that. Yes. They may have <laughs> two conclusions by getting him for this role. I feel like they should have explored other actors who may have been able to play the part a little bit, you know, better. Um, I also have concerns about that the character is kind of boring in the third movie. Like, he's kind of like crybaby and woe is me and not really trying to better his life. And I get it, like, with, the like, his father and all that stuff, but I feel like by the third movie, he should have, like, put on his big man pants and grown up a little bit and actually tried to handle his own life. Um, and I also, again, wonder, what is the, the what's the point in having, you know, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin fighting together is one and then later on is anything truly solved in that relationship not really because who knows what's going to happen later on i mean he could end up coming back and trying to kill peter or mary jane or somebody else i mean he's just a character that i feel like they could have done without honestly for this movie True. And I think it is rather convenient that he does get killed off. Granted, I guess maybe they want to put it out like being very poetic that like his father who died in the suit, he dies as well. But I think it's very convenient in the sense that it leaves a lot of questions unanswered to your point, Devin, because in the aftermath of this, had he survived, 
it would have been, I think, a very sort of uh, sticky situation between uh, Peter, Mary Jane and Harry. So maybe they're like, this is going to be too much of a headache. Let's just kill the guy so we don't have to worry about consequences later. So I, I see that. why. That's why. And yeah, I do get to your point, Kelly, about the creepy butler. <laughs> but I will say also kudos to 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 John Paxton as well, because hey, it's it's Bill Paxton's dad, so at least yeah. he he gave us Bill Paxton. So I'm I'm internally grateful to Mr. <laughs> John Paxton for being one half of the the human beings that gave us Bill Paxton. But uh, well, go ahead. You you know that James Franco originally auditioned for the role of Peter Parker, and <laughs> they handed him Harry as a I guess a door prize. So I don't know that he was completely, you know, after the first couple of movies, I don't know that he was completely uh, invested, so to speak. And I think this was just an easy way to get him out of the franchise. So probably also, yes. And maybe he just wanted to move on to other things, but yeah. And I, and as I said, I think it really saves a lot of headaches for the writers too. I mean, I look, I did like the concept possibly if he gets a concussion and he hits the reset button and he, he almost goes back to the Harry that we'd seen in the very first film where he's like, Oh, I love my friends. I would do anything for my friends. And I think that's, that's right. That's it's sweet. It's endearing. And it's nice that he gets that one kind of moment of almost innocence about him. But hey, right. he d he does a better job a, a, as a boyfriend than Peter does because he gets all concerned about Mary Jane asking her what her problems are and all this kind of thing before he then returns to he gets his memories back. And yeah, the the teaming up, I thought, was a little bit odd. But at the same time, I could see and like you said, Kelly, you could have either introduced another hero or I don't know, because I can see why Spider-Man by himself would probably not have been able to take on both Sandman and Venom at the same time. So they're probably like, how are we going to solve this? What are we going to do when well, it comes I to mean, that? I could have seen the Sandman turning on Venom more so than I could have seen the Goblin teaming up with Spider-Man. That's also a good point. Yeah, because I see you're reading my mind there. Because I thought to my, because we do also obviously learn that the Sandman is not as bad as he seems to be or he has his redemption and yet yeah, would have been maybe even an even more bigger redemption for the fact that sandman and spider-man do team up once they've settled their differences over you know sandman obviously having killed uh, uncle ben but it would have made for much more of a compelling story and heck you could have just left harry osborne out of this for some reason or just leave him you know uh, without his memories and he's just like you know happy go lucky yay i've got i'm not a goblin anymore and just hanging out in the mansion and stuff so you could have even done that but but it's true i i do enjoy james franco in other films i mean i i, I loved him in oz the great and powerful i did like him in the planet of the apes films but yeah here it was a little bit odd yeah, I he did... also gave us he also gave us pineapple express don't you forget that oh yes so. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big sin. I, true. I guess you you, make, you have a good point. But no, other than that, I, I, I guess it was rather convenient that he got killed off. But uh, yeah, maybe that maybe he was. He did phone it in, in in parts. But look, it's really great, though, when he, he gets I did like when he started to make the omelet and he starts doing the twist and stuff. Oh, that was kind of fun. So I will give him that. He was he was entertaining when it came to that. So let's get to one of our two serious villains, one maybe more of a less of a villain than the other. Let's start with Thomas Hayden Church as Flint Marco Sandman, whom our listeners might know from Wings, Ned and Stacy, Sideways and George of the Jungle. So, Devin, starting with you, what did you make of Sandman? I actually enjoyed this character. In fact, 
I think that this was a little bit more interesting than the whole Harry story, mm. honestly. In fact, I was a little bit more interested in that than I was the whole Green Goblin thing. And because honestly, like this is a new character. It's somebody you know who you don't know anything really about yet. And um, you know that's what kept my interest with it. Is uh, plus he's a really good actor. So. Very, very true. And uh, and uh, Kelly, I remember you mentioning Thomas Hayden Church on one of our reviews. So, yeah, what did you make of Flint, Marco, and Sandman? I think it was the perfect casting for the part. I think that he should have had a bigger, a lot more time on screen than he got. I mean, uh, granted, in the comics, the Sandman's a two-bit criminal that Spider-Man beats up on all the time. He's part of the Sinister Six. I get it. But, it, you know, in the comics, at least... You know, we flesh out the character. Here we get a, a lot of information pretty quickly about him. And I feel like that he he did an amazing job with the role, given what he had to work with. And I, I, to be honest, if they're going to put the Sandman in another movie, I'd like to see him come back as the Sandman. But, um, you know, the the thing is, is he's he looks like the Sandman from the comics. His The way he portrays him, just it works. And it. It just has worked. He has this, you know, he has this villainous side and all he wants to do is help his child. And he's, he's, he's doing all these things and he's driven, he's a driven man. And that's, I think what makes him so popular in this movie or makes him a better character in this movie is he took the role seriously. I think it shows when he's, you know, when he's fighting Spider-Man, when he's doing these things and you got Spider-Man in the black suit in their big fight in the, um, unending subway of New York. I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> there's like this pit of despair down there underneath the city somewhere. Um, and you know, so you, you, know, you, you, you get the feeling that he's, he, and he, you know, he tells Spider-Man repeatedly, I, I don't want to do this with you. I don't want to hurt you. I just want to help my, you know, and Spider-Man being the person he is, well, you can't be a bad guy. Okay. I get it. You know, but again, I think, you know, communication is key and, and in this movie i think that that kind of went out the window yeah. so <laughs> nobody talked to anybody in this movie it's, it's almost like you know i don't know but <laughs> so you know uh you know and spider-man has conversations with his you know and he's he's spider-man's always pretty you know especially in the comics and i think that's maybe what i enjoy about the newer spider-man is he's always talking and spider-man was always talking when he was fighting his villains he was always shooting off his one-liners and you know and he had sympathy for these people. It wasn't like he was just this, uh, you know, I'm going to stop crime no matter what. He was always compassionate. Spider-Man was. And, you know, the, the whole interaction with him and the Sandman towards the end of the film really starts to hit on that. And I think we missed a lot of that in, in the movie. I think we really did. I think we just we didn't hit on the points that were important. And we just kind of revolved around you know, the Peter and Mary Jane thing. And I think that Thomas Hayden Church and in, in, as Spider-Man was just, or as Sam and Spider-Man here was just, it was spot on. That's the one thing that they did right in this movie. I think was just, that was amazing. I, I am totally yeah. with you. I uh, go ahead, Devin. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I completely agree with every single thing that you just said. Uh, yeah. 100%. I agree. Like he's correct about everything that he just said. Oh, and, well. Yeah. You know, and um, the other thing I was going to chime in on is um, I also feel like they could have done more with the character if they wouldn't have had the other villain in the film. And uh, um, yeah, I just think that 
they could even possibly maybe redo this movie the correct way that it should have been done, you know? Well, hopefully, if Thomas Hayden Church is, you know, available and wants to come back, I'd be so happy. And I'm right there with you both. As much as I'm a huge, huge fan of Venom, you could have actually left Venom out. I mean, I know that a lot of folks were dying to see Venom on the, on the screen in live action for the first time. But Thomas Hayden Church just knocked it out of the park because... This, I think, is more akin to an MCU kind of villain compared to the old school style when you used to do superhero movies where the villain is just bad for bad sake, if you will. He is much more of a complex character. He's a very tragic character in the sense that, like you were, like you, you were pointing out, Kelly, he wants to do everything he can for his daughter and just is he was just a desperate man wanting to help her. And then the whole concept of him being Uncle Ben's killer, that obviously, you know, it's a big stain on his character, but at the same time, the way he, it happened and the way he almost wants to atone for that with Peter, you could have really del delved into that even more so had you not had Venom. And I, I just I just love, love this character so much, not to mention the scene where he transforms into the Sandman for the first time is beautiful and it still works to this day. And I know that so many people continue to go back to that scene because it's the the um, CGI is just so well done and it still holds up to this day. And it's just it's one of the, I think one of the great movie, great moments of superhero moviedom in general when it comes to an origin on screen. And yeah, I, I, I just wish that maybe he had been the focus. And not to mention at the end when the Sandman just blows away with the wind and the sand, that is so beautiful as well because it just emphasizes the tragedy of this character and that he didn't want to do bad things. He, he, you know, he did his time. He wanted to kind of atone for what he did. But I think mentioning the fact that Spider-Man was, was being too prideful he Spider-Man was seeing things more in black and white in the sense, I'm good, you're bad, hence I have to destroy you. Whereas so he didn't have time for the gray in between character that is Sandman, which I then that and that's why I so wish this could have been the direction, because it would have been a very much an MCU kind of story. And uh, and I think this is one of the better written characters in this film as a whole, which 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 I think speaks yeah. a lot for, for when it comes to this film. So Let's get to our first live-action version of another favorite villain anti-hero, of course, before Tom Hardy became this character, Topher Grace as Eddie Brock Venom, who my listeners might know from Predators, Interstellar, Black Klansman, Traffic, and so many more. So, Kelly, starting here with you, are you a Venom fan in general, and what did you think of this first live-action version of Venom? Well, I'm a huge Venom fan. And number one, Venom will not hurt anyone else to get at Spider-Man because Eddie Brock, as much of a villain as he is to Spider-Man, would never put anyone else's life in jeopardy to get at Peter, ever. And he never reveals Peter's identity to anyone. Um, that was one of Eddie Brock's things. And Eddie Brock always protected the innocent, even if, you know, there's several times in the comics that him and Spider-Man are fighting together because, you know, Venom, as much as he hates Peter Parker... And because he re Peter rejected the suit and he also got Eddie Brock fired from the Daily Bugle, you know, they hate Spider-Man. But one thing they would never do is put anybody else's life in jeopardy to get to Spider-Man. So hence the faux pas there. And then to top it all off, Topher Grace's Venom was probably the saddest, most 
prolifically poor choice I've ever seen in my entire life. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, and, I, and I say that with all the feeling I can muster because he, well, number one, he played an entitled jerk. That's not what Eddie Brock was. Eddie Brock was more of a bodybuilding, muscle bound, I want to get ahead kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He was not the, and yes, he did fake a photo with Google, and that's how he got fired. You know, that's canon. But it went down a lot differently. And, and to be quite frank and honest with you, Topher Grace's Venom just didn't do anything for me. You, you could have picked a hundred different other people and it would have been better than putting Topher Grace in there. And I'm not, and I have nothing against Topher Grace. It's just him in this role and the way that he played it, the actual, I don't know, even the actual embodiment of Venom, we still don't get the overblown muscle-bound Venom that we see now and that was in the comics. It's really just, I don't know. It mm-hmm. felt really flat to me, and we didn't develop the relationship between Peter and Eddie. We didn't do any of that, and there's a long history there. And we just kind of, like I said, we just threw this thing together and put it out there. Oh, we're going to have Venom on the screen for the first time. I mean, I'm sure that drew hundreds of comic book fans to the theaters, thousands. And w- then when we get it, it's a, pardon my language, but it's a half-assed, um, I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. So <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I just, I feel like, you know, we, 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 you know, like we said, there's so much going on in this movie. It could have been several movies if they would have focused on one way or the other. And again, you know, just if we would have focused on the Sandman, for instance, he's a constant character, you know, or something like that, and brought Venom in at the end to kind of, you know, tease the next movie. Of course, there wasn't a next movie, but you know where I'm going with it. It just, this all just, it felt so uh, against everything that, 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 that is Marvel, to be honest. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just... I, you know, Venom is not really, he's like an anti-hero. He's not really a bad guy. And in this movie, we make him the baddest of the bad guys. And to be quite frank and honest, I mean, he saved his life in the, in the, in the comics. I mean, he's not the guy that's going to kidnap someone, hang him up in a taxi. And yeah, he would have tracked Spider-Man down all on his own. He didn't need any help from the Sandman either. And Venom is Spider-Man's probably one of his closest to, close enemies that have come closest to putting him in the grave in the first place. So, um, simply because Spider-Man spider Spence doesn't work when Venom's around. So it, it, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like that they gave this part to Topher Grace. They wrote it really badly. And then he played it really badly on top of that. It wasn't that he wasn't trying. I don't think it's that. I just think it just boils down to, it was a terrible part. Um, it really wasn't for him, and I feel like he did the best that he could do with it. And I mean, we're talking about the kid that sat on the couch on that '70s show for how long? And he, you know, it just didn't work. So I, I just I can't get that out of my head, you know. So, <laughs> but <laughs> my feelings on the situation. <laughs> well, well I, but but now I have to ask: Do you think Tom Hardy is a better fit as Eddie Brock and Benham? By a long shot. Because we, so the, one of the things that deterred from this Venom in this particular movie that we're talking about is his voice. We didn't do anything to change the voice. We didn't do anything to, we've got this kind of shrill, 
version of his voice in this movie, but it's still Topher Grace's voice. Whereas when Tom Hardy does Venom's voice, it's a completely different. <coughs> I mean, we're, we're we're on a different level here, you know. Um, and that's what I envision, you know, when you're reading the comics, you know, and you see this, you've got Eddie Brock <coughs> and you've got Venom and we, you've got that we factor and, you know, and Eddie starts talking like that. You know, the more that he wears the symbiote, the more he talks about it. And so I just, I don't know. I, I feel like that this version of Venom that we have now in the, in, in, that Sony's put out with Tom Hardy is by far and away um, a thousand times better than what we got on the screen with Sam Raimi. Uh, I, I, I think I'll probably have to agree with you on that one. And Devin, when it comes to you, what did you make of Venom? Okay. Um, do I have to be nice or can I be honest? <laughs> Honesty is the best policy I find. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, Topher Grace should have never, ever been in that situation. They should have <laughs> Gone out. I mean, interview. I mean, you just try. That's all I mean. Like this part to me was forced because maybe they didn't have anybody else to take it, or maybe they 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 just didn't care enough to like audition other people. I don't know what it was, but the Venom character in this movie to me, I wasn't really feeling it. Like to me, it was kind of like. It's like trying to be afraid of, like, a cuddly teddy bear in the woods. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, I, I'm like, I, I like Venom, but I don't, like, don't get me wrong. I like Venom. I, in fact, I like the modern movie. Like, I just, this character for this part is just horrible. And it did not work. And it's no offense to Toe for Grace, because I like him. He's a good actor. I just feel like this is a long like a bad direction for him in this movie and he just should have never taken the part. I mean, like maybe if he was like an extra or something like that in the movie, not actually playing Venom, like that would make more make a little bit more sense. Like even like Ashton Quitcher would have been would have been better in this role on mm. like I mean I, I mean I, I don't I mean I just like, I just feel like they didn't do the research that they needed to do to make this character work the way that it should. Well, definitely good points. And I wonder whether this version of Venom almost influenced the goblin we got in Amazing Spider-Man 2 in, in Dane DeHaan. Because there are some eerie similarities when it comes to the, should we say, the, the, the scazzy teeth and the weird grin and everything else. So and not to mention even the fact that he has the emo hair going on. And I wonder whether the folks, when they went, then went on to do Amazing Spider-Man 2, whether Dane DeHaan was looking at um, Peter, should we say Tobey Maguire with the emo hair and Topher Grace's Venom. He's like, hmm, I could create Goblin using an amalgam of these two because they, it is eerily similar. It, 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 I mean, this to me, it reminds me very much of what Dane does when it comes to Goblin and um, Harry Osborn in that film. But yeah, I am like the biggest Venom fan ever. Funnily enough, I've, I've actually told this story on other podcasts before. Before I even read Spider-Man, I actually hated Spider-Man. And as a kid, 
I, I fell in love with Venom because we had that mutual hatred towards Spider-Man. I was like, yeah, buddy, you know exactly how I feel. And so um, my, I, as a kid, my mother, would, God bless her, would be going all over the place to find me Venom comics because I just wanted to read about this guy because I couldn't stand Spider-Man. And so I found somebody who felt the same way as me. And so I absolutely loved Venom. But yeah, this version, look, I, I think the CGI is decent. Yeah, the Topher, Topher Grace, I think he he gave it the old college try, as they say, and had to deal with the with the writing that he was given. But yeah, Eddie Brock is completely not this. I, I, I mean, I understand sometimes you deviate from the comics and do something a little bit different because you want to. But I just didn't get the fact that because at first he, he thinks that he and Gwen are an item when they've only like had coffee and so he makes it a thing that Peter's trying to steal his girl when there's nothing there. So either they're portraying him as incredibly paranoid, not to mention he then gets angry that Peter you know, gets him kicked out of the bugle. But heck, the guy basically stole or should we say faked a, a picture. So it's not like he's doing amazing journalism. He's literally stealing stuff. So you could almost say Peter caught him in the act. So he's almost right to kind of denounce him. But I get the the anger. I get the frustration. But yes, this isn't Venom. I mean, it is. It's like a different. It's like a what if version of Venom, if you will. That's. I guess that's where I'm going to put it. But yeah, I wasn't too happy with this either. And uh, and I would have liked better. And you know, I'm glad with all its problems. I'm so glad that we got. Venom films with Tom Hardy. I'm actually really looking forward to Let There Be Carnage, which is coming out uh, early next month. So I can't wait for that. But yeah, this could have done better. We could have not had Venom. Focus on Sandman becomes a way better movie. That's And that's what I've got to say about that. So let's get to ratings then, gentlemen. Devin, starting here with you, what do you give this film out of 10? I would, okay. One to ten, I would say six point five. Hmm. I, think, I think that that's, that's reasonable. That's very very fair indeed. And and Kelly, are you uh, in um, Devin's ballpark? What do you give this? I'll give this. I'm not in the same camp as that. I'm not going to give it that high. I can't do it. It's just there's too much. You know, as much as I like Spider-Man, they kind of Sam Raimi kind of took this one and um, ran it off the proverbial bridge and um so i'll give it four ant maze rings i'm i'm not gonna go higher than that i just can't <laughs> okay so i guess it's a four when it comes to kelly i'm actually uh, in um in devin's ballpark i'm i'm uh, right there with you devin i'm actually gonna give this a six and a half out of ten it's entertaining to watch it's not the best movie but it kept me entertained and you know i suppose as i've often said on this podcast when it comes to other films Heck, if you're, you know, with your with your mates and it's a Friday night and, you know, you have some and, you know, you are of legal drinking age. This is this is a great movie to kind of, you know, knock a few back, maybe order a pizza or whatever and just watch this film because it's very much a Friday night popcorn movie, I found. So for that, I will give it a six and a half out of ten. So let's get to recommendations then, guys. Kelly, starting here with you, did you have any comics book stories to recommend or anything else that you think folks should check out? if they did enjoy this film. <laughs> so I, I, I'll be honest. If you were going to check out stuff <coughs> in the, in the, in the comic book realm, I'd go with the sinister six series. that came out in the eighties. 
um, anything from there that kind of gives you more information on like the Sandman and, and, and things like that. You get a little more in depth in the characters because you get, you get more of them in those. And then, um, you know, the birth of Venom in the late eighties, if you really want to get, uh, you know, into this, go, go read secret wars first. Mm-hmm. So you know where the symbiote came from. And then, you know, just follow it from there. Cause Venom appears very shortly after that. So it, it just, that series the secret war series and then right after that we get venom and um uh just um and i think because of todd mcfarland's art and everything like that those that first venom comics um are pretty amazing not just writing wise but just visually so it gives you a lot better feel of who venom is who eddie brock is the mood i mean just everything's right there so I'd go check those out. Sounds good to me. And Devin, did you have anything you would like to recommend? I would like to say the earlier Spider-Man comic books. Um, just because you have that nostalgia aspect. Um, the first Venom comic book is very awesome too. Carnage. Um, and Fantastic Four. You know, for those people who may not be interested in, you know, um, X-Men, like Fantastic Four has some good series, too. Um, So, yeah. Sounds good to me. And I'm actually going to give some some other recommendations myself, folks. So, yeah, if you do want to find out more about the Sandman, I would actually suggest you check out Spider-Man Saga of the Sandman. And to, to give you basically a brief run on this, it was no day at the beach when criminal Flint Marker was mutated into one of Marvel's most versatile villains and began a career of kicking sand, no pun intended, in our favorite heroes' faces. Here you get a collection of some of the best battles between Sandman, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and the Hulk. Also, as um, Kelly was pointing out, I would also suggest Amazing Spider-Man 298 to 300. Here, basically, Peter returns to Earth from the Secret Wars crossover, which you definitely should read. He comes back with this goth version of his old uniform. And from there, of course, we get Venom and more. So definitely check out Amazing Spider-Man 298 to 300. And of course, dear listeners, if you want to join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to us with us also at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, where at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast and feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There you'll be able to pick films that go outside of what is considered regular superhero movies, or even just films inspired by comics like 300, or Road to Perdition, or I Kill Giants, or even films which inspired comics like the Aliens franchise, or Robocop, Terminator and more. Check all that out and join our army of patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash happiness in the darkness. So guys, when it comes to you and what you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? Devin, where can folks find you? Um I'm on YouTube, um I do YouTube videos, music, uh, interviews. I also work part-time for 502 Fallen Angel Radio, Mr. Angus, Angie, um, has given me the opportunity to co-host the morning show with her, and she also gave me this lovely contact information to contact Nick and be on here, 
which I hope that I am welcome in the future to come back and do more reviews with you. Um, and uh, also, if you guys want my email address, um, it is dsmith92882 at yahoo.com. And there we go. Fabulous. Well, you definitely have an open invitation. Definitely welcome back, Devin. You know, you did a great job on your first time on Happiness and Darkness. So we definitely look forward to having you back. And Kelly, you being a veteran in more ways than one, even when it comes to happiness and darkness, where can folks find you and your great work? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a little hurt because Devin called me vintage earlier. But um, <laughs> when he was talking about comics, he, you know, he, I was a kid. I was a teenager when Venom first appeared so um <laughs> love you Devin. But anyway um uh, uh, uh <laughs> no i'm just kidding um no you guys you can find me all over facebook i do a podcast on there called the veterans forum i also have my band something like yesterday you can find us on facebook um you can find us on reverb nation and you can also find us uh one of our songs anywhere music is sold so i you know itunes all that good stuff and um you can go to my professional page on Facebook if you want to hit me up, things like that. So I'm always around and always doing something. So you never know where I'll show up. Well, we definitely, hopefully, will be able to get you back sooner rather than later as well, Kelly. You know, I know you're a very busy man yourself, but hopefully we'll be able to get you and Devin back sooner than later because we definitely always love talking to you both. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I do host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also check out our other project, Gold Standard, the Oscars movie podcast, where with co-hosts Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend. We're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture from 1927's Wings to the present day. And of course, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to see all the crazy stuff I get up to on Instagram and all the and, and all the geeky things I have to say when it comes to movies, both superhero and non, you can follow me on DJ Nictogram. Also, myself and our great friend Charles Skaggs can be heard discussing superhero TV shows on the Fandom Zone. We recently wrapped up Loki and have now moved on to Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we're discussing the latest season of Titans and we'll soon be taking on Doom Patrol as well. Speaking of things to come on this show, next time we will be discussing the 2004 pit-off film Catwoman. It's going to be definitely quite the discussion. That said, when it comes to you, Kelly, and when it comes to you, Devin, I want to thank you both so much for taking the time to join me today and definitely look forward to having you both back on the podcast. Well, thank you very much yeah, for having me, Nick. I appreciate it. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. And uh, Catwoman is another movie I love, actually. <laughs> well, it's going to be, I think it's, it's going to be quite, quite a discussion for sure. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Catwoman. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people.